Chapter Twenty Nine of Phantom Fortune, a novel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Phantom Fortune, a novel by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Nine. Swift subtle post carrier of grisly care maulevrier called in arlington street before twelve o'clock next day and found lesbia just returning from her early ride looking as fresh and fair as if there had been no such thing as nap or late hours in the story of her life she was reposing in a large easy chair by the open window in habit and hat just as she had come from the row, where she had been laughing and chatting with Mr. Smithson, who jogged demurely by her side on his short-legged hunter, dropping out envenomed little jokes about the passers-by. People who saw him riding by her side upon this particular morning fancied that there was something more than usual in the gentleman's manner, and made up their minds that Lady Lesbia Hasselden was to be mistress of the fine house in Park Lane. Mr. Smithson had fluttered and fluttered for the last five seasons, but this time the flutterer was caught. In her newly awakened anxiety about money matters, Lesbia had forgotten Mary's engagement, but the sight of Maulevrier recalled the fact. "'Come over here and sit down,' she said, and tell me this nonsense about Mary. I am expiring with curiosity. The thing is too absurd. Why absurd? asked Maulevrier, sitting where she bade him, and studiously perusing the name in his hat, as if it were a revelation. Oh, for a thousand reasons, answered Lesbia, switching the flowers in the balcony with her light little whip. First and foremost, it is absurd to think of any one so buried alive as poor Mary is finding an admirer. And secondly, well, I don't want to be rude to my own sister, but Mary is not particularly attractive. Mary is the dearest girl in the world. Very likely. I only said that she is not particularly attractive. And do you think there is no attraction in goodness? in freshness and innocence candor generosity i don't know but i think that if mary's nose had been a thought longer and if she had kept her skin free from freckles she would have been almost pretty do you really luckily for mary the man who is going to marry her thinks her lovely i suppose he likes freckles i once heard a man say he did he said they were so original, so much character about them. And pray, who is the man? Your old adorer and my dear friend, John Hammond. Lesbia turned as pale as death, pale with rage and mortification. It was not jealousy, this pang, that rent her shallow soul. She had ceased to care for John Hammond. The whirlpool of society had spun that first fancy out of her giddy brain. But that a man who had loved the highest, who had worshipped her, the peerless, the beautiful, 
should calmly transfer his affections to her younger sister was to the last degree exasperating your friend mr hammond must be a fickle fool she exclaimed who does not know his own mind from day to day oh but it was more than a day after you rejected him that he engaged himself to molly it was all my doing and i am proud of my work i took the poor fellow back to fellside last march bruised and broken by your cruel treatment heart-sore and depressed i gave him over to molly and molly cured him unconsciously innocently she won that noble heart ah lesbia you don't know what a heart it is which you so nearly broke girls in our rank of life can't afford to marry noble hearts said lesbia scornfully do you mean to tell me that lady maulevrier consented to the engagement she cut up rather rough at first but molly held her own like a young lioness and the grandmother gave way you see she has a fixed idea that molly is a very second-rate sort of person compared with you and that a husband who is not nearly good enough for you might pass muster for molly and so she gave way and there isn't a happier young woman in the three kingdoms than mary hasselden what are they to live upon asked lesbia with an incredulous air mary will have her five hundred a year and hammond is a very clever fellow you may be sure he will make his mark in the world and how are they to live while he is making his mark five hundred a year won't do more than pay for mary's frocks if she goes into society perhaps they will live without society in some horrid little hovel in one of those narrow streets off eccleston square suggested lesbia shudderingly it is too dreadful to think of a young woman dooming herself to lifelong penury just because she is so foolish as to fall in love your days for falling in love are over i suppose lesbia said maulevrier contemplating his sister with keen scrutiny the beautiful face so perfect in line and colour curiously recalled that other face at fellside the dowager's face with its look of marble coldness and the half-expressed pain under that outward calm here was the face of one who had not yet known pain or passion here was the cold perfection of beauty with unawakened heart i don't know i am too busy to think of such things you have done with love and you have begun to think of marriage of establishing yourself properly people tell me you are going to marry mr smithson people tell you more about me than i know about myself come now lesbia i have a right to know the truth upon this point your brother your only brother should be the first person to be told when i am engaged i have no doubt you will be the first person or the second person answered lesbia lightly lady kirkbank living on the premises is likely to be the first then you are not engaged to smithson didn't i tell you just now mr smithson did me the honour to make me an offer yesterday at about this hour and i did myself the honour to reject him and yet you were whispering together in the box last night and you were riding in the row with him this morning i just met a fellow who saw you together 
do you think it is right lesbia to play fast and loose with the man to encourage him if you don't mean to marry him how can you accuse me of encouraging a person whom i flatly refused yesterday morning if mr smithson likes my society as a friend must i needs deny him my friendship ask lady kirkbank to shut her door against him mr smithson is very pleasant as an acquaintance and although i don't want to marry him there's no reason i should snub him smithson is not a man to be trifled with you will find yourself entangled in a web which you won't easily break through i am not afraid of webs by the by is it true that mr smithson is likely to get a peerage i have heard people say as much smithson has spent no end of money on electioneering and is a power in the house though he very rarely speaks his berkshire estate gives him a good deal of influence in that county in the last general election he subscribed twenty thou to the conservative cause for like most men who have risen from nothing your friend smithson is a fine old tory he was specially elected at the carlton six years ago and has made himself uncommonly useful to his party he is supposed to be great on financial questions and comes out tremendously on colonial railways or drainage schemes about which the house in general is in profound ignorance on those occasions smithson scores high a man with immense wealth has always chances no doubt if you were to marry him the peerage would be easily managed smithson's money backed by the Malavrier influence would go a long way my grandmother would move heaven and earth in a case of that kind you had better take pity on smithson lesbia laughed that idea of a possible peerage elevated smithson in her eyes she knew nothing of his political career as she lived in a set which ignored politics altogether mr smithson had never talked to her of his parliamentary duties and it was a new thing for her to hear that he had some kind of influence in public affairs suppose i were inclined to accept him would you like him as a brother-in-law she asked lightly i thought from your manner last night that you rather disliked him i don't quite like him or any of his breed the newly rich who go about in society swelling with the sense of their own importance perspiring gold as it were and one has always a faint suspicion of men who have got rich very quickly an idea that there must be some kind of juggling not in the case of a great contractor perhaps who can point to a viaduct and docks and railways and say i built that and that and that these are the sources of my wealth but a man who gets enormously rich by mere ciphering where can his money come from except out of other people's pockets i know nothing against your mr smithson but i always suspect that class of men concluded maulevrier shaking his head significantly lesbia was not much influenced by her brother's notions she had never been taught to think of him an oracle on the contrary she had been told that his life hitherto had been all foolishness 
"'When are Mary and Mr. Hammond to be married?' she asked. "'Grandmother says they must wait a year. Mary is too young, and so on and so forth. But I see no reason for waiting. Surely there are reasons, financial reasons. Mr. Hammond cannot be in a position to begin housekeeping.' "'Oh, they will risk all that. Molly is a daring girl.' He proposed to her on the top of Helvellyn in a storm of wind and rain. And she never wrote me a word about it. How very unsisterly. She is as wild as a hawk, and I dare say she was too shy to tell you anything about it. Pray, when did it all occur? Just before I came to London. Two months ago? How absurd for me to be in ignorance all this time. Well, I hope Mary will be sensible and not marry till Mr. Hammond is able to give her a decent home. It would be so dreadful to have a sister muddling in poverty and clamoring for one's cast-off gowns. Maulavrier laughed at this gloomy suggestion. It is not easy to foretell the future, he said, but I think I may venture to promise that Molly will never wear your cast-off gowns. Oh, you think she would be too proud? You don't know, perhaps, how poverty, genteel poverty, lowers one's pride. I have heard stories from Lady Kirkbank that would make your hair stand on end. I am beginning to know the world. I am glad of that. If you are to live in the world, it is better that you should know what it is made of. But if I had a voice, or a choice in the matter, I had rather my sisters stayed at Grasmere and remained ignorant of the world and all its ways. While you enjoy your life in London, that is just like the selfishness of a man, under the pretense of keeping his sisters or his wife secure from all possible contact with evil, he buries them alive in a country house, while he has all the wickedness of his own share in London. Oh, I am beginning to understand the creatures. I am afraid you are beginning to be wise. Remember that knowledge of evil was the prelude to the fall. Well, good-bye. Won't you stay to lunch? No, thanks. I never lunch. Frightful waste of time. I shall drop in at the Haute Gomme and take a cup of tea later on. The Haute Gomme was a new club in Piccadilly, which Maulavrier and some of his friends affected. Lesbia went towards the drawing-room door with her brother, and just as he reached the door she laid her hand caressingly upon his shoulder. He turned and stared at her, somewhat surprised, for he and she had never been given to demonstrations of affection. Maulavrier, I want you to do me a favor,' she said in a low voice, blushing a little, for the thing she was going to ask was a new thing for her to ask, and she had a deep sense of shame in making her demand. I... I lost money at Knapp last night, only seventeen pounds. Mr. Smithson and I were partners, and he paid my losses. I want to pay him immediately, and... And you are too hard up to do it. I'll write you a cheque this instant, said Maulavrier good-naturedly. But while he was writing the cheque, he took occasion to remonstrate with Lesbia on the foolishness of card-playing. I am obliged to do as Lady Kirkbank does, she answered feebly. If I were to refuse to play, 
it would be a kind of reproach to her. I don't think it would kill Lady Kirkbank, replied Maulavrier with a touch of scorn. She has had to endure a good many implied reproaches in her day, and they don't seem to have hurt her very much. I wish to heaven my grandmother had chosen anyone else in London for your chaperone. I am afraid Lady Kirkbank's is rather a rowdy set, answered Lesbia coolly, and I sometimes feel as if I had thrown myself away. We go almost everywhere. At least there are only just a few houses to which we are not asked. But those few make all the difference. It is so humiliating to feel that one is not in quite the best society. However, Lady Kirkbank is a dear good old thing, and I am not going to grumble about her. I've made a check for five and twenty. You can cash it at your milliner's, said Maulavrier. I should not like Smithson to know that you had been obliged to ask me for the money. Apropos to Mr. Smithson, do you know if he is in quite the best society? asked Lesbia. I don't know what you mean by quite the best. A man of Smithson's wealth can generally poke his nose in anywhere, if he knows how to behave himself. But of course there are people with whom money and fine houses have no weight. The Conservatives are all civil to Smithson because he comes down handsomely at general elections, and is useful to them in other ways. I believe that Smithson's wife, if she were a thoroughbred one, could go into any society she liked and make her house one of the most popular in London. Perhaps that is what you really wanted to ask. No, it wasn't, answered Lesbia carelessly. I was only talking for the sake of talking. A thousand thanks for the check, you best of brothers. It is not worth talking about. But, Lesbia, don't play cards any more. Believe me, it is not good form. Well, I'll try to keep out of it in future. It is horrid to see one's sovereigns melting away. But there's a delightful excitement in winning. No doubt, answered Maulavrier, with a remorseful sigh. He spoke as a reformed plunger, and with many a bitter experience of the race-course and the card-room. Even now, though he had steadied himself wonderfully, he could not get on without a little mild gambling. Half-crown pool, whist with half-guinea points. But when he condescended to such small stakes, he felt that he had settled down into a respectable middle-aged player, and had a right to rebuke the follies of youth. Lesbia flew to the piano and sang one of her little German ballads directly Maulavrier was gone. She felt as if a burden had been lifted from her soul, now that she was able to pay Mr. Smithson without waiting to ask Lady Maulavrier for the money. And as she sang, she meditated upon Maulavrier's remarks about Smithson. He knew nothing to the man's discredit, except that he had grown rich in a short space of time. Surely no man ought to be blamed for that. And he thought that Mr. Smithson's wife might make her house the most popular in London. Lesbia, in her mind's eye, beheld an imaginary Lady Lesbia Smithson giving dances in that magnificent mansion, entertaining royal personages. And the doorways would be festooned with roses, as she had seen them the other night at a ball in Grosvenor Square. 
but the house in grosvenor square was a hovel compared with the smithsonian palace lesbia was beginning to be a little tired of lady kirkbank and her surroundings life taken prestissimo is apt to pall lesbia sighed as she finished her little song she was beginning to look upon her existence as a problem which had been given to her to solve and the solution just at present was all dark as she rose from the piano a footman came in with two letters on a salver bulky letters such packages as lesbia had never seen before she wondered what they could be she opened the thickest envelope first it was seraphine's bill such a bill page after page on creamy bath post written in an elegant italian hand by one of seraphine's young women lesbia looked at it aghast with horror the total at the foot of the first page was appalling ever so much more than she could have supposed the whole amount of her indebtedness but the total went on increasing at the foot of every page until at sight of the final figures lesbia gave a wild shriek like a wretched creature who had received a telegram announcing bitterest loss the final total was twelve hundred and ninety-three pounds seventeen and sixpence thirteen hundred pounds for clothes in eight weeks no the thing was a cheat a mistake they had sent her somebody else's bill she had not had half these things she read the first page her heart beating violently as she pored over the figures her eyes dim and clouded with the trouble of her brain yes there was her court dress the description was too minute to be mistaken and the court dress with feathers and shoes and gloves and fan came to a hundred and thirty pounds then followed innumerable items the very simplest of her gowns cost five and twenty pounds frocks about which seraphine had talked so carelessly as if two or three more or less could make no difference bonnets and hats at five or seven guineas apiece swelled the account parasols and fans were a fabulous price as it seemed to lesbia and the shoes and stockings to match her various gowns occurred again and again between the more important items like the refrain of an old ballad all the useless and unnecessary things which she had ordered because she thought them pretty or because she was told they were fashionable rose up against her in the figures of the bill like the record of forgotten sins at the day of judgment she sank into a chair pallid with consternation and sat with the bill in her lap turning the pages listlessly and staring at the figures it cannot be so much she cried to herself it must be added up wrong and then she feebly tried to cast up a column but arithmetic not being one of those accomplishments which lady maulevrier deemed necessary to a patrician beauty's success in life lesbia's education had been somewhat neglected upon this point and she flung the bill from her in a rage unable to hold the figures in her brain she opened the second envelope her jeweller's account at the very first item she gave another scream fainter than the first for her mind was getting hardened against such shocks to resetting a suite of amethysts with forty-four finest brazilian brilliance three hundred and fifteen pounds 
Then followed the trifles she had bought at different visits to the shop. Casual purchases. Bought on the impulse of the moment. These swelled the account to a little over eight hundred pounds. Lesbia sat like a statue, numbed by despair, appalled at the idea of owing over two thousand pounds. End of chapter 29